0: Please turn to your Bibles again, Mark 10, that's going to be our first passage today. And some of the reading we're going to use to get, to, to get us into context to understand where we left off. Last week there was a message on... If the rich young ruler. He went up to Jesus, saying, "Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life?" And he made it about him and the things that he could do. And Jesus basically said, "Hey, sell everything that you have." And he's like, "I don't think so." And he walked away. Everybody freaked out, and they were kind of like, "Well, I mean, if, you know, what then? How then shall a man inherit the kingdom of God?" And Jesus said, "Do you remember what he said? It's easier." For a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. But last week what we did was we turned to Luke 19, and what did we see? We saw a camel go through the eye of a needle as Zacchaeus came, and he was called down from the tree, and Jesus said salvation has come to this house because he saw a real repentance. Because with God, and this was one of the theme verses from last week, where we read, with men it is impossible, but not with God, For so with God all things are possible. So that's the context for where we work into today. Let's start reading at Mark 10, 23. And this is after the rich ruler walked away. Then Jesus looked around and said, oh, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered and said, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. For a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying to themselves, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked to them and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. And here's where we'll pick up today with our study. Where then it says that Peter, Peter's always the first one to speak. Alright? Peter's always got something to say. Maybe you know Peter. Some of you are like, we're looking at Peter. Okay, yeah. then uh, then Peter began to say to him, see, we've loved all and followed you. Peter's like, we get it. If anybody gets it, we get it. We love everything to follow you. And Jesus answered and said, as assuredly I say to you, there's no one who has loved house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the Gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now, in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands of persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Now, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. Then he took the twelve aside again and began telling them the things that would happen to them. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him, and scourge him, and spit on him, and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, grant us that we may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, we are able. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized, but you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles, lord it over them. We're really going to be zoning in on these passages today right here. You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles, lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Wow. wow. When we read the book of Acts we see that there is a group of believers that turn the world upside down. That's because the teachings they were given were counter to the culture. And instead of being in the flesh, they were filled with the Spirit. We long to see that power today. As it seems that the culture is taking over the church sometimes, Lord, we pray that as we look again to our great example, the head of the church, the one who loves the church enough to die for the church, The Lord, you would bring everything back into focus. Inspire and encourage us with truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Those are the words of JFK. January 20th, 1961, as he was being sworn in the 35th President of the United States. And it was, in his address, an address that was meant to inspire children and adults to see the importance of civic action and public service. The heart of it was to challenge, listen to this, the heart of it was to challenge every American to contribute in some way to the public good. It was recognized that for conditions to improve in the country, that the greater good would need to be served, and that would only be when people would stop looking out for their own agenda and start serving their fellow human being. You see, it doesn't take an historian it doesn't take a philosopher, it doesn't take a pastor to stand up here and tell you that a self serving, what's in it for me society is a dangerous place to live. Would you agree? What's in it for me? You know that a what's in it for me attitude can be dangerous to the individual because you know selfish individuals that in looking out for their own good, well, what's in it for me, well, what's happened is because they're only looking out for themselves, well, it's led to a path of destruction. But here's the problem. The what's in it for me individual gets into a relationship, and now you have a what's in it for me relationship. And that what's in it for me relationship, well, now you've got a what's in it for me family. And now you've got a what's in it for me family church. And now you've got a what's in it for me community. And now you've got a what's in it for me country. And slowly and slowly, what's happening is this, is that we have little pockets of hell creeping into God's creation. And we have to understand the root of this problem, the root of the selfishness, if we're ever going to make a change and affect change in this world. You got to get to the root of the problem. That's the bottom line. Now, we've been reading um, Genesis 1. I'm not going to ask you to turn there, but I want to read this for you. Because if we're going to understand the root of the problem, and we looked at this verse last week, we're going to look at it again, and we're going to take a different application to it. When God created mankind, we said that God said, verse 26, Let us make man in our own image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So in other words, let's create mankind, let's give them dominion. Let's give them authority over these things. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, listen to this, be fruitful and multiply, Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And if we stop right there, I just ask you this. If we're told to be fruitful and to multiply and have dominion over these things, how are we doing, gang? Are we rocking it? Are we taking a look at the environment? We're just doing so good in caring for the environment and looking at the animals. We're taking such good care of the animals, and we're treating each other with such love and such respect because mankind is created in the image of God. Are we doing so well with it, or do you think that we've taken the authority and the dominion in these things, that because mankind is separated from God, that we've begun to abuse authority and neglect the responsibility that we were given? And so the question becomes, and the real problem, if we're ever going to understand real authority and real service in a biblical context, we have to understand that when mankind was separated from God, there was still going to be that desire to have authority and to to subdue, but we're going to use it in the wrong context. We're going to use it apart from God. Because remember this: when we talk about being created in the image of God. It's not so much about you being all powerful or all uh, having all knowledge, and being ever present. It's more about the role and the responsibility that you're given, and the representation you are made to fulfill a role in the society. But that role and representing God in this world cannot be understood apart from Jesus Christ. When we get away from the final authority, what happens is this, is that things begin to take a very, very bad turn. And now what we're trying to do is we're trying to exercise authority and dominion, and now what you have is people making slaves, and you have people lording authority over one another, and this is where the breakdown begins. Because you're taking these, it's made inherent, because you were made in the image of God, and you're trying to rule over things, but you're doing it apart from God, and you're not representing Him in the way that you're doing it. You need to have the whole picture there. You need to have the whole truth if you're ever going to understand it. Now, has anybody here ever seen the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark? very first Indiana Jones movie. All right. And you remember one of the very first things that he's doing in finding the Ark, he has to have the Staff of Ra. And the Staff of Ra has this medallion. And if you have this medallion, it can tell you exactly where the Ark of the Covenant is located. Now, in the beginning of the movie, Indiana Jones finds it but the Nazis also find it. And they get into this battle, and there's a fire, and the medallion, well, now it's burning hot, and one of the Nazis grabs for the medallion, and the imprint of it is on its hand. So now Indiana Jones has the real medallion, the Nazi has the imprint of it, and now the race is on to find the Ark of the Covenant. About halfway through the movie, you find this out is that the Nazis will never be able to find the ark because they only have the front part of the medallion. They don't have the full medallion, Indy's got it. So Indy's going to find the ark. In the same way, if we don't have the truth connected to the commands, if we are not connected with God, if we're separated from God, you're going to have commands like this and we're not going to understand how to have dominion, how to subdue the earth, why we should be fruitful, why we should multiply. And so this becomes so important, and that's why there's so much confusion among the disciples. Because after Jesus looks at them and says, listen, it's impossible, in verse 27, but not with God, for God all things are possible, Peter says to him, see, we've left everything in followed you." Peter thinks he gets it, but then Jesus said, Surely I say to you, this is verse 29 of Mark 10, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brother or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the Gospels, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, the persecutions and in the age to come, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Stop right there. This is so important. Peter's like, Lord, we gave up everything All right? We get it. And Jesus is like, you really didn't give up anything. Listen, if you understand the truth of this book, you realize that whatever you've given up for the gospel's sake, you didn't give up at all. You didn't give up anything. Because he gave everything. And all that you have is from him to be used for him and to bring him glory when it's rightly understood, when it's understood in the context. But you can't understand it without the context, because Jesus is looking at them, and he's throwing a real curveball at them. Hey, all the guys that think that they're first and that they're making it ahead in this world, they're going to be at the end of the line. And all the people that were at the end of the line are going to be first. And for some of us, we look at them and we're like, thank you, God. And for some of us, we're looking at them and we're like, "Uh oh, You can't understand it apart from the context of why you were created and what you were created to do and how to fulfill these roles and responsibilities. But now in verse 32, it says, Now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. Jesus was going before them. This lights me up. Listen to this. Jesus is going before them. They were amazed. They were uh, followed. They were afraid. And he took the twelve aside again. He began to tell them things that would happen to them. Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes. They will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. Why does this get me so excited? Here's why. Jesus knows every bit of what's going to happen to him, and he's going anyway. Now that in and of itself is amazing. Because sometimes somebody gives you a dirty look. I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to go near them. I'm not going to take their phone call. I'm not going to text them. I'm not going to return their text. And we get very petty, right? Jesus is saying, listen, this is how it's going to happen. And here's the thing that's also kind of cool. In Mark 8, he told the disciples he was going to die. Mark 9, he tells the disciples again. He expands on it. And Mark 10, this is the third time. And why does Jesus do things three times? To get his point across. But now he gets very specific in what he's telling them. Listen, he says, okay, here's exactly how it's going to happen. I'm going to be betrayed first. Then they're going to condemn me to death, deliver me to the Gentiles. They're going to mock me, scourge me, spit on me, and kill me. Listen, if some of us knew what we were going to go through some of the persecutions for being a Christian, some of the struggles that we were going to go through in life, if you were given a heads up and you were saying, listen, in two chapters you're going to go through this accident or you're going to have this illness, we'd try to avoid it if we could. But Jesus is going right towards it. And this is one of the places that we have to understand if we're going to live the Christian life, if we're going to serve him, is that he came to serve. He came to serve humbled himself in obedience, even to the point of death, took on the form of a bondservant, all these truths of Scripture, so that what? So that we could live a Christian life of entitlement? No. It doesn't even make sense. And the only reason it doesn't make sense to some that are in Scripture is because they're at a church and they're hearing the things that they want to hear, but they're not opening up the book and reading it. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to go through this, I'm going to go through this, I'm going to go through this. And to know that he did that for you, if you believed it in your heart that Jesus did these things for you, it would change things completely. Here's why. Because some of us let the people that hurt us and damage us, we let them dictate our behavior and our attitude. You were bought with a price. And you're not for sale. Jesus went to a cross for you. He loves you that much. And you're letting Joe Schmo over here who insulted you or looked at you the wrong way. Well, I'm I'm letting them dictate my actions. When did you give them that power over you? Why? We're supposed to have freedom in the gospel. But what that freedom looks like? See, when we let people that hurt us dictate our actions and our attitudes and our behaviors, rather than the one who died for a cross, then we're misunderstanding something. And I bring this to you today because I do it. I do it. I do the same thing. But guess what? The Lord is changing my heart. And the reason I bring this to you, and the reason that the Holy Spirit is bringing this to us, is because He wants to change your heart. He doesn't want you enslaved to anyone. Because somebody else is having a bad day, you sit there and, and you become a slave to that person's bad day? No. If they're having a bad day, what do they need? They need Jesus. They don't need you to say, well, you're having a bad day. Well, no, I'm going to have a bad day, too. Never going to have a bad day. Now, the people that are coming up to this person, they're going to have a bad day. Alright, so now everybody has a bad day until this person decides to have a good day. Now this person has dictated everything when you were meant to change everything because he gave you everything that you needed to make the change. And that was the Holy Spirit when he came inside of you. So Jesus is telling them this, but he's not telling them this. It's going to happen, guys. It's going to stink. We're going to go to Jerusalem. Jesus, you're going to betray me. You guys are going to abandon me. Alright, they're going to nail me to a cross, man. This is going to really stink. All right, so stink. I don't want to do this, but it's okay because so I'm going to rise again on the third day. Do you understand how insane that even sounds? Thanks. Jesus is willingly going because willingly glowing. You know what? That sounds good too. I said he's willingly going, but he's also willingly glowing because he's accomplishing his Father's will. And it's not dependent upon how man treats him. You see, All of this comes into play as we consider our passage today because he's free to live out God's will on this planet as are you. That's why he died for you so you can be free to accomplish the things that God desires for you. But we're going to see some glitches in the response of mankind that that, that, that simply doesn't understand that can't necessarily comprehend it, and we begin to see it in verse 35 where it says, "Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. How many of you look at that and you go, What is wrong with these guys? I just told you, I just gave you some of the worst news you could probably have, that I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be condemned, I'm going to be killed. And then they're saying, We want you to do something. Can you do something for us? I mean, it doesn't even make English, quite honestly. But nevertheless, he says... What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? And that cup that he's going to drink is a cup of suffering. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. And they said to him, we are able. Jesus could say, actually, no, you're not. But he does not say that. Look at what he says next here. He says, you will indeed. You'll drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give but it is for those for whom it is prepared. Jesus is God. Jesus is God, but he came as a man. He came as a man. He was dependent upon the Holy Spirit and the Father so that he could be a sympathetic high priest, so that he could identify with those that he came to die for. He experienced every bit of being a man that you all have experienced. And in his role as son walking this earth, that's not mine to give. He's not saying, Well, I wish I could, I wish I could make that promise to you guys, but dad's making me do this. Dad's making me go to a cross for you guys, and I have no control who's going to sit over my left hand, who's going to sit on my right hand. I have no control over it. Do you ever see Jesus? Because the Bible tells us he didn't consider a robbery to be equal with God, that he took on the form of a bondservant. That's freedom. It's a freedom we lack. We're prisoners to our circumstances. We're prisoners to our past. We're prisoners to other people's opinions. We're prisoners to so much. But Jesus is sitting here, and it's not like he's complaining the whole way. He's just saying, listen, it's not mine to give. That's from my Father. That's freedom. That's true Freedom. Though he came as a servant. Even to the point of death on a cross. That's freedom. Verse 41. We're going to spend a lot of time on the next few verses. And when the ten heard it, they began to be displeased with James and John. Why were they displeased with James and John? They're asking, well, we want to sit on the left. We want to sit on the right. Were they sitting there saying, you know what, James and John, you were being so insensitive? No. You want to know why they were upset? Because they didn't have to curse they didn't ask first. That's why they're upset. They were really upset with James. Don't the punch. If anybody gets to the left or the right, it's going to be dead. No, but Jesus called them to himself. Now, okay, boys, all right, stop the bickering. Stop this, because they're prisoner even to each other now. You see that? Now, Jesus called them to himself. Just remember one thing. Jesus desires unity. Whenever there's a problem, he desires to bring everybody to the table. Let's talk this out. Let's straighten it out, and let's get back to truth you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them? Stop right there for a second. Jesus begins to tell them, listen, there is a problem with authority and the way that this world exercises it. And that's one point that you can write it down and you can take this to the bank with you. As long as we live in a sinful world, there are going to be people that abuse authority. It's been happening since the beginning of time. Satan, given a little bit of authority, abused it. Adam and Eve, given a little bit of authority, abused it. All right, the Pharaoh, when the children of... Israel come under it. He begins to uh, lord it over them. He makes them slaves. Built his own kingdom, but that's okay because when the children of Israel they come into power and they go into the promised land, they start abusing authority. But that's okay because the Babylonians conquer them, they abuse authority. The Medes and the Persians conquer them, they abuse authority. The Greeks conquer them, they abuse authority, and then the Romans conquer them and they abuse authority, and so on, so on, so forth, until the year 2019. Because where there's a fallen world. Whenever, wherever, because we're in a fallen world, there will be people that abuse authority. How many of you have gone to a workplace with somebody that abused authority? Anybody? How about everybody? Okay, you've been in a workplace where somebody, maybe a new boss came in, and the new boss is like, we're going to make some changes around here. We're going to make some changes around here, and he's ready to make a statement. And unfortunately, you happen to be one of those, okay, great, I can't wait. It's like, okay, I'm so happy that you're going to be making a statement, because now I'm going to be subject to you, and now you're going to lord it over me. Because that's what we do with authority. Listen pastor control freak. Sixth grade, they put a patrol belt on me. Orange belt. I'm walking like the Duke. I'm walking, and most of the kids in school at that point, they don't know who John Wayne is. You need to pick up that piece of paper. You need to pick up, and then if, they, if they don't pick up the piece of paper, I guess you're asking yourself more questions. I like lucky. Then I start going into Eastwood, and I start squinting at them. Why? Because I'm abusing authority. I've got my patrol belt on now. I'm thinking who I am, even in sixth grade. But don't laugh, because some of you have done it too. Okay, so there you go. All right, how many of us have giving them. A... Okay, no, some of you are shaking. No, no, we haven't done quite to that extent, PJ. You're really Boy. sinful. Yes, I am. <laughs> sinners, uh, you're past Listen... this is a problem alright because where there is power people are going to try to exercise control so listen to what Jesus says verse 43 he says yet it shall not be so among you but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant Jesus completely flips the script of the way that the world does things. All right, can you imagine? Can you imagine being one of the disciples sitting there saying, "We're going to be on the right hand, we're going to be on the left hand"? And the disciples are sitting there, man, they're really struggling with this. And Jesus looks at them and he says, "Listen, he says it's going to be different class. It's got to be. If there's going to be change in this world, it's got to start somewhere, and it's got to start with men and women of God." See, because as long as we're living in a sinful world, they're going to be people with that abuse authority. But here's the second thing. It's like in God's economy, being a leader means being a servant. Being a leader means being a servant. That's what we call in the church servant leadership. It's just so not the way of the world, right? Because in the world you have to walk over people to get where you're going you have to be aggressive but the Bible said blessed are the meek for they shall be the ones that inherit the earth I was a good nursing supervisor for a little while when I worked for hospice because I was a CNA at one point I was a nursing assistant which means I changed bedpans I washed people up I helped feed them As I became a nurse, I was always sensitive to the nursing assistants. So I was a good nurse, somewhat. When I became a nursing supervisor, I would help the nursing assistants. I would help the nurses. But something happened when I was a nursing supervisor. I got very comfortable behind my desk. And I stopped serving them because I started not liking them. I hope they're not listening to this without <laughs> <laughs> I, I stopped serving. At one point, I just started hiding in my office because I didn't want to deal with anyone. Listen, that's so not Jesus. Jesus saying, listen, I don't care how difficult they are to serve. Is there somebody that you look at in this life, in the workplace, that you struggle serving, and you're like, well, you know, I'm, I'm just not going to serve that person. I can't stand the person. <laughs> chances are you're being able to act exactly the way that if you were to write down, saying, listen, I want to treat this person like this, chances are God is calling you to say, all right, you probably need to do this instead. Because in God's economy, it's so different alright it means God's economy means that being a leader it means that we have to be a servant And when Jesus says this to them the ones that desire to be great among you you shall be your servant whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all how enticing is that to to you alright you've got to be slave to everyone we don't even like the word and so in certain places where the Bible is supposed to say, say slave, it says bondservant. Because we like to water down the language. But what it really means is a slave. That means that you're at that person's disposal. And that's exactly what Jesus was. But you see, the beauty of Jesus, and listen to how he says this. He says... Whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. How many of you have ever heard that verse? How many of you have ever sat down and considered what that verse really, really means? As that the God of heaven set the example for us. He became a man, despite the fact that he was God, he became a man so that he could go through the human experience, die for us, just so we can have relationship with us. So Jesus is the servant example of servant examples because he comes to die for those that were created in his own image. Think about it. When you see the miracles of Jesus, do you ever see him doing something that is completely self-serving? Hey, Jesus, take this stone, Satan tells him, when he's when he's been fasting 40 days. Take this stone and make it into bread. Jesus doesn't say, man, that's a really good idea. I can do it because I'm God. Why didn't Jesus do it? Really simple. It was not the will of his Father to do it. And he came in full submission. He came to save you. He came to save me. And he came to lead by example. So if there's somebody that you're struggling to serve, chances are that's the person that you should be serving the most. And when you say that you can't do it, we have to go right back to Jesus and watch how he does it because the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Can anybody look at that verse, go through the life of Jesus and refute it? I don't think so. But can anybody go look at that verse and say, okay, well, you call yourself Christian. And you say that you're supposed to be following Jesus' example, who came not to be served, but to serve, could they look at me, and could they look at you, and could they say, Well, you know what? That person, they, they're here to be they don't expect to be served. Because that's Jesus. That's Jesus all over the place. It goes back to what he said, the last shall be first, the first shall be last. Listen. When we look at his example, you have examples all over the place where you can be serving. But some of us aren't doing it. Why? Because we do not know where service begins. Service begins with worship. In the church, rightly exercised. Service begins with this connection that we have to God through worship, where we are worshiping him, we're praying him, we're celebrating him, we're doing the thing that we were created to do. And in doing that, what happens is this, is that as we're worshiping him, we're connecting with the author. I was looking at the story of Moses, and I kind of really compelling. here's why. And I'm going to ask you to turn from Mark to Exodus 2. Exodus 2. And I want you to see something here. Verse 11. I want you to notice something that happens with Moses. At 40 years old, he's been raised in the Pharaoh's house. And that just sometimes shows us God's sense of humor. Pharaoh uh, raised the deliverer in his own house, basically. Verse 11 says It came to pass in those days, Moses was about 40 years old when Moses was grown, that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way, and he looked that way. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Alright? What does this show you about Moses? Moses seemed to have a burden for his people, right? He had a burden already. Despite the fact that, that at this point he's really had no connection with God, no interaction with God. He's already got a burden for the Hebrews. And verse 13, it says, When he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting, and he said to the one striking that did the wrong, Why are you striking your companion? Then he said, Who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. But listen to this in verse 16. This is where it gets cool. Because you're going to see something about Moses' character. Verse 16 says, Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water, and they filled the troughs to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. What do you see here with Moses. You see the same, you see that he's there to help the underdog. You see he has a burden to deliver people from oppression. In both instances, he's 40 years old. There's already something in his heart, okay, there's something naturally there existing in Moses' heart to save people that are oppressed. Alright, but here's what happens now for Moses. You know the story. For the next 40 years, he spends in the wilderness Being a shepherd until at age 80, God calls him via a burning bush, all right? And now God calls him to deliver three million people, three million oppressed people. You see that on his own, he can't deliver one without getting himself in trouble. But when God calls him to do the work, and that's why it's important that your service in the church starts with your worship, being so in love with Jesus. It's the best reason to do anything. It's the best reason to pick up a broom. It's the best reason to serve a cup of coffee. Why, because he died on the cross. What won't you do for him? Where won't you go for him? It starts with the worship. It starts being rightly connected to him and saying, okay, Lord, I'm yours. And when you do that, there's so much to be done even in a small church, it's meeting at a, the Palm Beach School for All. There's so much that can be done here. There's so much that can be done in this community. So much that can be done with these kids. So much that can be done with our kids over there. Where are you? You know, where, where are you plugging in? Worship is the right motivation for service, and only when you're worshiping will you begin serving with the right attitude? Because he loves you. Not for attention, not for accolades, not to be able to say, well, look what I did. Anything that we start off in the flesh is going to come to nothing. But listen, anything that starts in the spirit and then reverts to the flesh is also going to come to nothing. I mean, it makes sense, right? He's the author of life. He created you to do something. So the service starts with worship and it has to continue with that but also this worship what, what worship does is it ignites a burden when you're worshiping and when you're being loved by god and when you're loving god what it does is it stirs something in your heart For ephesians 2 10 says you are god's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which he has prepared beforehand that you may walk in them. And when we look at that verse, we always focus on the fact that you're God's workmanship. That means in the original language, workmanship is poema, which means you're God's poem. He wrote your story, your God's poem. But the problem is this is that we don't go to the author and we try to wonder why we're so why we're why we're so confused. What's my place? Where do I belong? Because you're trying to Write things your way. You're trying to do part of your way, and then you're trying to do partly, and you're like this, and you're getting nowhere, and you're wondering why. This has got to make sense because if you try to live in the kingdom of God and you try to write your own story, what's going to happen is you're going to get nowhere quick, and you're always going to blame it on the church. You're going to blame it on the people of God, or you're going to say, "Well, God is not being fair with me." Did you go in the first place? Because his desire the whole time, he he created you for good works so that you could walk in them. He's not the kind of father that's saying, listen, I've got a great plan for your life, but every time you get close to it, I'm going to pull the rug right out from under you. That's not him. How many of you have had the rug pulled out from under you? Why most of us here? But here's the thing. When you find the true freedom of doing the thing that you've been called to do, when he ignites the burden right here, what's going to happen is this, is that no human being is going to have the power, no circumstance, no job, no uh, overbearing supervisor is going to have the ability to take away the burden that he's put on you. You're not going to be able to stop doing the thing that he called you to do, because he set your heart on fire. And you've been loved so well, and you want to love so well, The problem is, we want to write our own story. But not to misquote Star Lord. He says, Remember when he looks at Iron Man and he says, Listen, okay, your plan is good, but it really, really stinks. Let's do my plan and then it's going to be really, really good. And in the same way, we need to take a look and we need to say, Okay, Lord, my plan really, really stinks. Your plan is really good, so let me get out of the way so I can experience everything that you want. I've said it a hundred times, but you know it. If I asked you in this room, how many of you want the fullness of God's plan for your life, every hand would go up. Every one of you would say, I don't want to miss it. Then God would say, well, listen, you want my plan, but you want relationship with me. You want relief. From your circumstance, but do you want relationship? Do you really want relationship with me? Because that's the thing that when you, when you discover that, when you discover that relationship, that's the thing that's gonna free you completely. When you begin celebrating me, because that's why you were created, then I'm gonna give you the burdens. I'm going to put the burden on your, I'm going to, you're going to have a burden for, I never had a burden for homeless people. You never had a burden for special needs. You never had a burden to work with kids. You never had a burden to, and all of a sudden you start worshiping, there's this opportunity to do something at the church, and you said, you know what, I got to do that. I got to do something about that. That's a real problem out there with addiction. That's a real problem. Do you know, do you know how few parents go to church? They won't go because there's no care for special needs. That's a burden on my heart. I walked into a church many years ago, and they looked at me, and we told them that our daughter was autistic, and she was about three, and they looked, at me, and they said, what's the matter with your daughter? Is she yes. Mm, I'm going back there. <laughs> yeah. But you get it? There's so much to be done. It starts with worship, and it starts with not walking into a church and saying, well, they have this, 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 and this. But well, they don't have this, so we're leaving. Listen, there are local churches. They've got a thousand ministries. They've got a fishing ministry. They've got a golf ministry. They've got a campfire. They've got, I mean, all these different ministries. They've got something for everyone. If you walk into a church and you see that this church doesn't have something, do something. And so I about like to Matthew West song says, I think it's Matthew West, I always get West and Revenue mixed up. Um we'll go to the song that says, Listen, I shook my fist at heaven, I said, Why don't you do something? And he said, I did. I put you there. So you do something. That's where I created you. Not to walk into the church and say, them, what's in it for me? But to go to the church and say, Okay, Lord, how can I serve you here to the best? Alright, if you're in a small church and there's not a lot going on, you got open game. Do something. Start a ministry out there for special needs, start a soup kitchen, start a homeless shelter. Let's do it. That's what this is supposed to be about. Looking to see where the deficit is and how God would call us to fill it, and that's only going to come when we're worshiping him, and he puts that burden, and then what's going to happen is you're going to see talents and giftings you never even knew you had. For for me, the way that it started is like when I came back to the Lord at twenty nine, I wasn't in the church six months when the pastor who had baptized me as a kid at 29, he was like, well, you have a musical theater background. I'm like, yeah. He goes, well, what we want to do is we want to get some of our kids out of their shells, and so, you know, do you want to uh, do a little bit of a musical show for us, and then maybe teach children's ministry? Sure, I'll do it. And I started teaching adults. I started really liking it. Really liking it. Guess what? I still do. I love this. Why? Why? When you find God's will, when you find your sweet spot, when you find the thing that he's created you to do, you're not going to be able to do anything else. That's where worship brings you. Celebrating him, true freedom. Listen, there's a story of a man named Sam Childers. And when Sam Childers was 11 years old, and some of you have heard of him, He grew up to be a drug dealer and a completely immoral adult. He was part of the outlaw biker gang. All right. Uh, Reveling in sex and violence. Um, He wouldn't flinch, drawing a knife blade to someone's neck if the person irritated him. That all changed when his wife Lynn accepted Jesus Christ and helped bring him to Christ as well. After committing his life to Jesus Christ, Childers kicked his drug addiction, built a church, became its preacher, and managed a thriving construction business in Pennsylvania. But in 1998, Childers went to Uganda as a volunteer for construction. That one trip was supposed to last only a few weeks, drastically changed the course of his life, his family, and hundreds of children in southern Sudan. You might know him as the machine gun preacher. They made a movie about him a few years ago. But what happened? He started just worshiping God. He started serving God. He started preaching God's word. God said, listen, you have some construction talent? I'm going to use you up here. He went there, and what happened was that the burden was ignited. He saw these kids, and they were under attack. And he put a machine gun in one hand and he had a Bible in another hand, and in the third hand, he had a... hand, well, I don't know. You get <laughs> the point. Okay? And God gave him three hands! No. <laughs> that's the point. <laughs> he didn't do that. Okay. No. Added another whole other dimension to the story if we would have done that. That's but that's you get the point. The point is this. Now, when God brings you to that place and he's using you, mm-hmm. make sure stay on your face. God uses you to lead worship. Stay on your face. God calls you to serve at the resources table. God uses today to have a discussion with someone. God uses you to pray for someone. God uses you to counsel someone. God uses you, in whatever way he uses it, stay on your face. Stay low and keep him in perspective no matter what. And guess what? You're going to keep experiencing more. And more more and more, and then you're going to be free to serve. The title of the message, when I was thinking about it, I thought of one person in scripture, and it was a man named Onesimus. How many of you are familiar with the book of Philemon? I'm not going to have you turn there, okay? I'm not going to have you turn there, but it's right before Hebrews, and I definitely suggest that you pick this book up, you check it out, you read it. It's one chapter. But it tells the story, when Paul was in prison, all right, he came upon a runaway slave. This man had stolen from his master. This man Onesimus had stolen from his master, and he ran into Paul, heard the gospel, it changed his life. Well, Paul writes Philemon. Philemon had been the man's master. Philemon could have said, well, listen, you found him. We could execute the guy because of what he did, because he stole from his master's house. He doesn't do that. Paul says, listen, accept him now. Because now when he comes back, he's going to serve you like never before. Because now he found Jesus. Now he's going to be free to serve. One of the things that Paul says in this letter, in verse 15, is really telling. As Paul is pleading with Philemon, listen, when Onesimus comes back there, take him back to your household. Verse 15, he says, for perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever. Ever. No longer is a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and the Lord. You're a free to sir. When you repented of your sins, Jesus forgave you of your sins, and he delivered you from something, but he also delivered you for something. You can limit your life if you just realize what he delivered you from, you can limit your life, and you can say, okay, well, I'm going to go to church. I've been delivered from my sin. I'm going to heaven. That's well, and that's good. But you've also been free to become the men and women that he has for you. And this is not, this is not dependent upon how another person treats you. It's not dependent upon your past mistakes. As a matter of fact, God takes a look at the past that so many would sit there, and they'd say, rejected, it, rejected, it, rejected. And he says, Well, oh, this one's going to work good for me and you're free to do the thing that you were made to do. How many of you feel free to do that? And a lot of you take a look and you say, and freedom, you're talking about Pastor, you don't know what's going on in my life and my finances and my uncertainty and all of these things. Jesus says, listen, I've got you. And if I'm for you, who can be against you? If you really believed it, it would change everything. Honestly. If you really believed he was for you, you would walk around with a smile on your face and a song in your heart. And it doesn't mean you wouldn't shed a tear when the cat got killed by the FedEx truck or something like that. But for the most part, you would walk around and you would be celebrating God and you would consider it pure joy whenever you face trial of many kind, because that's freedom. He wants to free you to go out there so that when people see that you're getting pressed in on and some of you are getting pressed in on right now. So that when people see you getting pressed in on... They can look and you say, The joy of the Lord is my strength. I have a peace that surpasses understanding. I have this love that I just want to lavish because it's been lavished on me, and nobody can stop me from that. Nobody, not ever. Do you see how different that is from the messages the church is putting forth someday when we just say, Listen, just go to church, come up during an altar call. This is about complete life transformation, total freedom. From oppression that's happening in your home, from oppression that's happening in the workplace. God desires to just unleash you on the world. That's no prosperity gospel. He desires to unleash his love and his joy and his peace and his patience and his kindness and his goodness and his faithfulness and his gentleness and his self-control. He desires to unleash it on the world and to do it through you. That's God's will for your life. That's God's will. If you're living anything less than that, ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit don't be prisoner to what happened to you 25 years ago 5 hours ago, 5 minutes ago take the freedom now and run with it you've been told that's the word of God and that's what we're going to continue to preach here